Kyle Whittingham's Under Armour muscle shirt was not enough to intimidate the Arizona State Sun Devils on Saturday, November 3rd, as ASU drops Kyle Whittingham and the Utah Utes to 2-6 against Arizona State since Utah joined the Pac-12 with a 38-20 victory uh, in which the Sun Devils score 17 unanswered in the fourth quarter. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the win. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the Devil Town. Welcome to another edition of the Devil's Junkie Podcast. As always, I am your host, Ralph Amston, and I am excited to talk about this game, a game that uh, I was unable to attend, as uh, some people out there on this planet still uh, don't get that you're not supposed to uh, schedule weddings in the fall. So back-to-back weekends, I've been to fall weddings and uh, had to had to hide my disdain for the decision-making, uh, especially this last one uh, because I was paid to actually officiate the wedding. And so you can't you can't go in there and and and, and sneak your disappointment into the couple's uh, decision, you know, while you're up there um, talking about, uh, you know, how love is patient, love is kind, um, love doesn't keep score. Speaking of keeping score, why did you schedule your wedding for a fall Saturday? What is wrong with you? This marriage probably will not work. Uh, you can't do things like that. So uh, I had to, uh, when, when, when the schedule came out that Arizona State uh, was going to be kicking off this game at 1 p.m. at Sun Devil Stadium, I had a two o'clock wedding in Sedona. wasn't able to make it, but rushed home after the wedding. Um, caught the uh, caught the fourth quarter uh, call from from Tim Healy and Jeffrey and Raphorse on on uh, on ninety eight seven. Had to say that Tim Healy just does a fantastic, fantastic job. Absolutely loved listening to him call the games. Uh, was able to make it back and catch the the replay of the game last night. I have quite a few thoughts about it, but before I get into any of that, I do want to get into the fact that it looks like I wasn't the only one that had to miss a Saturday 1 p.m. kickoff. From everything that I heard, and I had dinner with Chili last night, he drove out to good old Maricopa, and, and, and we talked about his experience at the game, and, and he... Um, he he told me that he was very disappointed in in the attendance, and uh, I mean, it was no Stanford, right? I mean, the the stands were basically empty against Stanford. You had Mike Bercovici tweeting out, "I hate this attendance at Sun Devil Stadium right now," and then in true fan Sun Devil fan any fan fashion. He had like fifty replies of people saying, well, "You don't like the crowd win games," um, and I think that that's. Uh, uh, to me, that's that's absolutely garbage. Um, you know, you got to go. You got to you got to try to go to games if you can. But the Pac-12, Arizona State University in general, nobody really makes it easy on these fans. As somebody with four kids, I have to tell you, there's no way in hell I'm going to a 7:30 kickoff. You know, it's my job to cover these games, obviously. But there's no way in hell that I would haul four kids out there to a 7:30 kickoff. You know, where we're not going to get back home until. 12 30 1 p.m and have them be zombies all day on sunday uh and that it's going to be tough when you have parents who have their kids in extracurricular events soccer club sports you know whatever else to get to a noon to a 1 p.m kickoff those things are going to be tough too and until the pac-12 operates on the basis that you know 
we understand that you want to build programs with storied traditions, but we're going to completely kneecap your ability to build any tradition whatsoever by not knowing what time anyone's going to kick off until 12 days before any given kickoff. Until the Pac-12 has any basic understanding that you can't build tradition within your own family or at your own school until you actually allow these schools to have any type of tradition whatsoever. And until the Pac-12 realizes, you know, that, 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 uh, you know, you, you can't be slaves to the television, uh, when, you know, only half of the amount of people that even want to watch these games have access to any of these games based on their cable provider until the Pac-12 wakes up to some absolutely incredibly basic concepts of making things easier on people instead of just cashing a paycheck. It's going to be really hard for fans to get out to games. So I don't, I, and, and I talked with Chili last night and he said, you know, no excuses. Well, you know, I, it, it, it's tough when you have different people in different stations of life. You know, the student section seems to always show out. Their responsibilities are, are, are a little bit less than, you know, people who are working or people who have kids or people who just, who need more than 12 days in advance to make any type of plan whatsoever. And I know that if I was just a fan buying tickets, it's not something that I can make work. You know, and you say, oh, well, if you're a real fan, okay, so if you're a real fan and you prioritize everything else that you uh, do underneath Sun Devil football, um, then, I mean, I guess so. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not, I'm definitely, that'd be the type of person that would listen to a podcast called Devil's Junkie. So you, you know that I'm not going to um, bash on anybody for prioritizing Sun Devil football over all other areas of life. But if you're just trying to live your life and Sun Devil football is part of it, a healthy part of it, a pa- part of a balanced break, you know, the, those old commercials where they'd have like, <laughs> they'd have like Lucky Charms, which is just a bowl full of marshmallows that you pour milk on. On, and they'd say, you know, part of a balanced breakfast. Uh, well, yeah, like if you eat two bites of Lucky Charms, drink a full glass of orange juice, and then eat a grapefruit, maybe. Uh, but y- y- if you treat uh, Sun Devil football like it's part of a balanced entertainment schedule in your life, it's going to be really, really hard to move things around and make things work, uh, which makes it hard to invest in season tickets in the first place. And I know talking about attendance is never popular, and this is something that the sports information people at Arizona State get on me about anytime that I tweet or you mess with Arizona State's donors or their money. People paid a lot of money to upgrade that stadium, to make it look real nice, to make it real inviting. Um, to make it multi-use, uh, and, and I respect that. Sun Devil Stadium has gone through a massive makeover, taken out about eighteen thousand seats. They've made, you know, uh, they've increased the concession options. They've given you the ability to multitask by increasing the ability to receive any type of LTE signal, so that you can check out what's going on at other games, or you know, even make a phone call from from the game or send a text message, which is something that you know I, I definitely struggled with a few years back when I was a when I was a season ticket holder, you know, they, they've, they've made it a much more friendly environment, but I always was very wary of pumping $400 million into a project that the PAC 12 has no interest in making sure succeeds. So yeah, you fundraise $400 million and you work year over year to break down each section of Sun Devil Stadium so that it looks brand new and it's fantastic. But the truth is that the future is here and the future is streaming and people would rather watch on television 
television, especially if they don't have the ability to tailgate, which in many occasions Arizona State has removed people's ability to just be near the stadium and enjoy themselves. You know, and so you, you have people that are unable to continue uh, their traditions. You have people that are unable to continue to at least just make plans to show up at the game in the first place. But then, yeah, you know, you go and pump $400 million of renovations into a stadium. It looks nice. It looks fantastic. The facilities are great. The seats look great. Being in that stadium is a fantastic experience. But guess what? I mean, I look at that stadium the same way that I look at Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda is like, what, 85, 90 years old? Gorgeous as ever. Beautiful. I mean, uh, and and yeah, she's had work done, right? She spent a lot of money on plastic surgery. She looks better than she did maybe when she was 50 years old. Is she getting movie roles? No. People have moved on to something else. And, and the future for football is streaming. The future for football is television. And Arizona State put all this money into a stadium that, <laughs> that the Pac-12 and the Arizona State itself isn't really going to in, do all they can to invite people out to take part in that experience. And that's something that uh, I'm sure that I'll get some emails and phone calls about. Um, but again, I, I don't care. I know that I look at it from the aspect of if I, you know, if, if I had a family and Sandoval football was a priority for me to make it out there and to pass the tradition that I loved to my kids, um, I, I would need some consistency. I, I would need to be met in the middle, um, by the PAC 12, by Arizona state university. But when every single week is a different game time and yeah, Factions of the fans. You've seen that Jedi ASU meme with the Michaela Maroney unsatisfied thing no matter what the kickoff time is. And I don't think it's a matter of dissatisfaction about when the kickoff time is from week to week. It's that you don't know until 12 days out. So somebody like me who had to go and officiate a wedding and was assuming that, you know, so many of the games had been at 7 p.m. that, hey, I might be able to do both and you know, this was an occasion for me where I wasn't able to go report on the game uh, as well as, you know, cover my obligation. And a lot of people have family obligations. You know, you, you have this upcoming UCLA game, which will probably be Nikhil Harry's final ever game in Sun Devil uniform. You have a noon kickoff. Do you think that kids, when the weather is nice, who have soccer games, who want their parents to come to their soccer games, do you think that the parent is going to choose Sun Devil football over their kid? I mean, they might, they might, right? But at the same time, there's a pretty good chance they won't. Uh, and so, you know, yeah, you've seen the stuff that Joe Healy put out about the success that Arizona State has as far as morning kickoffs, and that's great. Well, guess what? If you were able to depend on something like that, especially in late October and November, to say that those games are going to be ones that are going to be early in the day, if you knew that well ahead of time, then I think that that's uh, an area where you would see the attendance increase. But I, I don't think that you see a lot of people uh, from around the state. And then, you know, If you have the opportunity to go down to the stadium, why would you sit at home and, and watch it on TV? I think these are people that are missing the television opportunity as well. The inconsistency is just such an issue as far as attendance goes. So, uh, you know, whereas I had this conversation with Chili where he went out of his way to say, like, it's the fans responsibility. I'm not going to blame the fans. I'm not going to blame the fans because they're in a situation where there are a million different mediums and it's easier to watch. I'm telling you, if Pac-12 Network was on direct TV, how much more of a chunk of attendance do you think would be would be taken out of that stadium? I think you'd see four or five hundred extra people every week not showing up to the games. Now, yesterday's attendance, I think, was announced at like forty six thousand or something along those lines uh it feels like tickets purchased that doesn't feel like butts in the seats i've seen some pictures uh i saw some of the complaints on social media um you know I, this is going to be the second time 
in my history of covering Sun Devil football, where I believe that Arizona State's average attendance for the season is going to fall below 50,000. In 2016, 47,736 fans on average showed up to Arizona State Sun Devil games, which was at about 85% stadium capacity. Um, this year, I think that that number, I think that you're going to see probably a sparsely attended UCLA game. You know, ASU's winning. They control their own destiny. Fantastic. But UCLA's not good, and this game kicks off at noon. Um, so, you know, the average attendance so far this year, 48,925. You're going to need an almost sellout to bump it up to a 50,000 average on the season. I don't think you're going to get that. Uh, Arizona State, you know, has a has a capacity of, of about 50. 3,599, 53,600, we'll call it. Um, and so, you know, I, I, it says, it says, you know, based on the average attendance that, that about 91% of the stadium has been filled this year. But I think that anybody who's been out at some of these games, you know, whether it's the, the Stanford game or, or, or especially this, you know, this most recent game against Utah, um, you know, I think that you, you look at, um, the seats, and you say, there's no way nine out of ten seats are filled. Uh, there are quite a few seats on the west side of the stadium that 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 are filled. I would say maybe nine out of ten of those. But on the east side, I don't see that. Um, the student section for sure, but the east side of the stadium continues to to have a lot of empty pockets. And so, you know, I... I've I've rambled on for ten minutes now about about attendance, but look at it. You know, Arizona State has gone from probably the peak over the last ten years of fifty nine thousand. We'll call it sixty thousand fans a game. Sixty thousand fans a game in two thousand thirteen, and that is at about forty nine thousand. Here we are five years later. And the excuse that I'll get is that oh, stadium capacity was lowered, and and so that drop, you know, is is according to how things are going, or uh, they're not winning, or you know, but I, I don't think those things have anything to do with it. I think the fact of the matter is, if you don't let people tailgate, and they don't know when the game times are going to be, um, as well as you increase avenues and opportunities for them to be able to watch uh, in in other ways. Um, you're you're definitely going to cost yourself, and I don't want to say that the stadium renovations are a waste of money, because I think ultimately in the long run they'll help with things that are important as far as keeping up with the Joneses, um, as far as recruiting and, and and things of that that nature. I think that they definitely serve a purpose, but um, I, you know, at this point, that money, you know, could have been used to pay people to show up. <laughs> I mean, you can have 70,000 fans a game giving each of them 20 bucks plus a free ticket and saved yourself a couple hundred million dollars if you wanted to just have a positive game day experience, you know? And so, it, again, I very much am not looking forward to some of the comments that I get because of this rant that I'm on right now. But I will say that I, I see the roadblocks that keep people from attending Arizona State games. And we haven't even gotten into the fact that, you know, people file out early to go hit mill when ASU's down 35 at half to a team like USC or something like that. That's not even that's not even something that matters right now. But it's I will just leave it. It is very, very hard to pass on tradition when there is a lack of tradition. 
And you can chalk that up to be winning. You can chalk that up to be continuity of coaching. You can chalk that up to be, um, you know, a, a, a low number of, you know, locals for people to come out to root for, even though I think that that number has been on the rise. But ultimately what I think it comes down to is not being able to know more than 12 days in advance when the team is going to kick off. Uh, and, and, and also, you know, beyond that, not being able to have very many near stadium traditions, game day traditions in which you can pass on from generation to generation to generation. Um, I, you know, I, I, I have friends that have moved out to, uh, to the East coast and, and, and have, they just converted to Clemson fans because they go out and spend six hours, seven hours in a parking lot uh, before every kickoff. And that level of community has just sort of won them over. And the, you know, the, the people that I'm talking about are lifelong Arizona state university season ticket holders who had just moved out to the East. They root for Clemson now because they feel like it's more of a community experience. And so uh, I, I do appreciate that the stadium looks pretty, um, it would look a whole lot prettier if people are in the seats and people would be in the seats if it was easier to know when uh, when you were going to show up and if there were things to do near the stadium, um, you know, so that it made it a little bit easier to, to show up. Product on the field always helps. I know I'm going to get 100 tweets that say if you win, people will show up. Well, guess what? Arizona State's 5-4. and four. They control their own destiny. If they win out, they win the Pac-12 South. That's common knowledge. So all of you win and they'll show up, people. If there's no sellout against UCLA at noon, come back and talk to me, and and I can guarantee you, I I don't I don't think and and I'm more than happy to eat my words when fifty fourth when fifty three thousand six hundred people show up uh, against UCLA for a noon kickoff. I will absolutely say I was wrong. I will say five and four was good enough. 12 days out of knowing the kickoff time was good enough. People put aside their, their, their family obligations to come out to watch Nikhil Harry one last time. I was wrong. And it's all about winning. I will absolutely eat my words, eat my hat if that's the case. But I think you and I both know uh, the odds of Arizona state cracking 50,000 fans on Saturday against UCLA, I think chances are pretty slim, and uh, and that's sad considering they averaged well over 50,000 fans in 2017, 2015, 2014, 2013, 2012, going back further and further and further and further. Only two years where they didn't hit 50,000, 2016, and it's probably going to be this year too, and also that, of course, coincides with not having University of Arizona to come to visit to give that little boost like they got last year, which is probably how they ended up at 51,000. I'll be honest, without that University of Arizona game last year being a home game, it's very possible that 2017's attendance is borderline around the 50,000 person mark. So uh, here we are, 18 minutes in, talking about game attendance and not talking about Arizona State's victory over University of Utah. So let's take a, a, a short break so I can collect my thoughts and we'll break down this Arizona State win. Mama crying, maybe barren, but I'm staring at your crib from the fist that had us nervous. Infection in his blood, it's a maybe not for certain. Give us a couple So, seconds. the big three, the holy trinity, the triumvirate of Manny Wilkins, 
Nikhil Harry, and Eno Benjamin. I think you finally saw what Arizona State's featured players, their star players on offense, were capable of as far as overall output um, offensively. Uh, Eno Benjamin just continues to look fantastic on the ground. To me, um, that's a guy, you know, while while it's fantastic that Nikhil Harry scored three touchdowns in a game, which is something that I, I believe he's never done before. Going, I mean, going back to high school, you're talking about a guy that was a five-star recruit, and I don't think he ever had three touchdowns in a game at the high school level. I know he hasn't done it at the college level. So it was really, really great to see Nikhil Harry get involved to the point where, uh, to the point where he was, you know, basically doing what I said that he should be doing um, on the Speak of the Devils podcast when I was with uh, Joe Healy and Brad Denny before the season. I thought that this was going to be like a Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, Randy Moss third season in college football, where where he was. He was going off the way that he went off on Saturday, you know, every single week. Um, but, you know, I, I'm fairly certain that he never actually scored three touchdowns in a game. Uh, let's see here. He actually has. He, he has. He's never had three receiving touchdowns in a game before, but against Horizon in a 62-22 to 22 win uh, when he was a senior at Chandler High, he did have a two-yard rushing touchdown as well as seven catches for 182 yards and two touchdowns. So only one other time in Nikhil Harry's uh, high school career was he able to get three touchdowns in a game. So it's been a long time for him. Absolutely fantastic game. Three receiving touchdowns. Uh, probably the play of the game for me with Nikhil Harry uh, was when he he ran, I think it was about a 10-yard in, and the defensive back uh, decided to hold his jersey. And when Nikhil Harry made his cut to the inside, it lifted the defender off of his feet because he had a hold of his jersey, which drew a pass interference call, and Nikhil Harry was still able to make the play. And I, that, to me, beyond his his three touchdowns, two of which were incredibly highlight-worthy, um, that, that, to me, was probably uh, one of the cooler things that I've seen this football season, to just see somebody be so physically dominant that the fact that someone tried to hold them on defense, lifted them off their feet, threw them to a ground, and, 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 got, and got a flag called on them, I mean, that that is just... It, it does not get funnier than that for me. Uh, so... So Nikhil Harry goes off, but to me, the MVP of the game has to be, you know, Benjamin. Um, Utah's defense, Utah's run defense this year has been absolutely fantastic. Now, they haven't played a lot of uh, teams that um, where, where running the ball was their strength. Um, and in Arizona State, it's debatable whether or not that's their strength. They've certainly been able to flex that muscle on occasion, especially, you know, against, uh, you know, Washington. You know, Benjamin had a pretty good game on the road against uh, against Oregon State. You know, Benjamin obviously set records, um, but it's it, it has been a while um, since Utah has taken on a team that uses the run uh, almost it, exclusively in Arizona State has sort of vacillated in between whether they're that type of team or not. Uh, and Eno Benjamin ends with 27 carries for 183 yards, um, or 27 carries for 175 yards uh, and two touchdowns. And then 
you know, this is, I think, one of the first games where he wasn't even really used in, in the receiving game. So, uh, and beyond that, they finally gave Isaiah Floyd uh, more than one carry in a game. He had 10 carries. You saw Paul Lucas run the ball. You saw Kyle Williams run the ball. You saw Manny Wilkins get out on the run. Arizona State carried the ball 50 times for 251 yards against Utah. A net of five yards a carry. Five yards a carry. And Eno Benjamin himself averaged six and a half. So Eno Benjamin is having an absolutely fantastic season. And if you follow Brad Denny on Twitter, you'll see... Uh, you know, that, that that he's on pace to do some pretty historic things. But the back-to-back weeks that Eno has had, I mean, 185 yards rushing against USC on the road, 175 yards against Utah at home. Um, you know, definitely he struggled against Stanford. I think they really keyed on him. But in his last six games, he's gone over 100 yards five times. He's gone over 150 yards three times. He went over 300 yards once, uh, and and he's you know he he's getting in the end zone, which is another really really big part of it. I think he's got 10 touchdowns just in the last six games, and I think 11 overall. Um, the the teams that he struggled against: Michigan State, San Diego State, and Stanford. Um, you know, I, I think when he's on, he's on, and when he when he's not, when they key on him, I think that Arizona State kind of makes the the corporate decision to get away from the run altogether because in the games where he hasn't been able to break through, um, you know, he has never had more than 13 carries. Well, in the games where he's rushed for more than 100 yards, you know, he's averaging well over 20 carries a game. And so I think that Arizona State goes with what works and then sticks with it once it's working. Uh, Manny Wilkins has another solid game, 19 of 24, very efficient, three touchdowns, all to Nikhil Harry, 285 yards. He made a couple of throws to Brandon Ayuk that I think were probably two of the two or three of the better throws that we've seen from Manny Wilkins this season. Uh, and so it's encouraging to see him use another receiver. Um, you know, this was another one of those games where Frank Darby completely disappeared. Uh, you know, he either has, has 100 yards or nothing, and this was a nothing game for him. Um, Kyle Williams had a couple of catches, but two receivers go over 100 yards. Brandon Ayuk is one of them, and considering that Brandon Ayuk, um, you know, Rob Likens had said after the game last week that it, he thinks that something clicked in Brandon Ayuk, and so it was. it's good to see that continue on into uh, the next week and for, you know, the the – Juco wide receiver to show uh, that that he is definitely um, capable of achieving some of the things that he flashed in practice. Um, Brandon Ayuk in practice, in in uh, especially in fall practice, looked like he was going to be an absolute star. And and going over 100 yards receiving against a tough Utah team is definitely a start. Uh, defensively, Arizona State had a really really interesting game. I think Merlin Robertson, who has had good weeks week in and week out. Um, I think that he 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 proved that it's not there's not going to be a lull there. I think a lot of people had wondered for Merlin Robertson if there was going to be, you know, some type of breakdown. He's the body of a grown man, but he's still just a true freshman. You know, will he be able to perform at this high level week in and week out? Well, he proved that yes, absolutely. You know, he had five solo tackles, one for a loss, and a very athletic interception. Um, Tyler Johnson, who made his first ever start against Stanford and has been getting a lot of playing time since then. Uh, Tyler Johnson had a very, very good game. Um, making the making Tyler Huntley uncomfortable, you know, prior to Tyler, Tyler Huntley uh, breaking his collarbone. Um, you know, he, he was on the run, and a lot of that was because 
of the play of Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson did have a fumble recovery that was overturned, and and on that fumble recovery, you got to see a little bit of that athleticism that made somebody who's at six foot five, six foot six, two hundred and sixty pounds. Uh, somebody who was able to return kicks in high school. Um, so you have to love the athleticism that you saw from Tyler Johnson. They only this is two weeks in a row where they didn't really even test Chase Lucas after he had a couple of weeks where you know he he struggled um, and and allowed some passes over the top, uh, especially in that Colorado game. They only tested Chase Lucas once this week and that was an incomplete pass. They definitely tried to test Kobe Williams and 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 he was able to even get an interception uh, in the end zone. So very good game from Kobe Williams. Um, you know, I, I think that if Utah, I think that, I don't know, the, the way that I look at this game, Arizona State was only up one point, uh, probably should have been four. Brandon Reese missed a pretty easy field goal, but, but Arizona State was only up one point when the fourth quarter started. And so you look at that 38-20 final score, and I talked to a lot of people who were either at the game or watched the game or reporting on the game yesterday afternoon, and and there was it felt like a lot more satisfaction over Arizona State's performance against Utah than their performance at USC the week prior when they surrendered a lead and had to come back. But I I didn't see it when I rewatched this game. I saw a game where almost every single thing that was you know hey this is a play that could bounce one way or the other. A lot of things went Arizona State's way. There was a lot of really, really good fortune. I think some people listening to this will say, "Yeah, for a for a change, you know, there's finally some balance in the system." Uh, you know, this, Arizona State seems to be snake bitten by a lot of these, you know, could go here, could go there, bounces or calls or whatever they are. But I think that in this game, I think it was it tilted pretty heavily toward Arizona State. Yet. You know, when the fourth quarter started, they're still only up one point. I'm not 100% convinced that the better team won um, on on Saturday. I think that I think that Utah squandered a lot of opportunities and and definitely had some misfortune. I mean, you you look at that throw that Tyler Huntley made off his back foot when Tyler Johnson was chasing him down in the first quarter. Uh, what a throw! What an incredible throw that was! And that bounces right off the receiver's hands, hits them in the chest, goes up in the air, and Ashari Crosswell, who had gotten beaten on on the coverage, is able to intercept that ball, and Arizona State turns that into a touchdown, uh, in which they take a 14 to nothing lead, a lead that they ultimately end up surrendering anyway. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure that the best team won on Saturday. I think that Arizona State finally was able to take advantage of some fortune going their way. Now, that's not to say that there weren't some players for Arizona State that were absolutely going off yesterday. Jermaine Lole really impressed me. The defensive lineman from Long Beach Poly, true freshman. I think he had two tackles for loss. He had a sack. He forced the fumble. I mean, he, um, or that might have been the fumble that didn't count, but I think that he had an absolutely fantastic game. I thought that the cornerbacks played really, really well, um, but the run defense was a little bit lacking. Zach Moss on 18 uh, carries had 128 yards, and they weren't really able to stick with Zach Moss because they got down early. I'm sure that Zach Moss is somebody, you know, who who they were hoping would have around 30 carries, would have more carries than Eno Benjamin. But because they found themselves in a position where they were down, you know, they have to throw a lot. And and Utah is really really good at picking and choosing their spots when they when when in the passing game when they're up. When they're down, it's a completely different story. And on the day, you see Utah go 11 for 26, one touchdown and three interceptions, which is just putrid. Yet in the running game, in the running game, they still averaged 5.6 yards per carry. 
And that's including all of the losses that their quarterbacks took behind the line of scrimmage. You know, Zach Moss on his own averaged seven yards per carry. You can imagine the damage that they might have been able to do if he had had 12 or 13 more carries. So, you know, and then you you saw quite a bit of just emotion and errors from some of some of the younger players for Utah. Um, I mean, uh, just Curtis Enos, really, who was recruited by Arizona State, uh, who Arizona State didn't land him, but they did land Jordan Porter and then kind of gave the air of like, ah, we didn't want him anyway. Uh, he And I think, that, I think that Solomon Enos knows that, and he came back to Arizona really wanting to prove himself. Well, he had a couple of drops, and then he had a penalty that greatly cost Utah. I think he was a, you know, he, he was a, a little bit overexcited. Um, you saw the dropped interception, I think, with a 120 left in, in the third quarter. Uh, Arizona State, I think um, Manny Wilkins was maybe looking for Frank Darby, threw it right into the hands of a Utah defender, and it was dropped. That was a uh, that was a situation in which Utah could have taken the lead and taken the game over. Um, you know, Utah with a lead is a very dangerous team, but just some of these bounces just went Arizona State's way. Um, and then obviously uh, Tyler Huntley getting hurt. That, you know, that's that's really big. I'm, I'm not a big Tyler Huntley fan. I actually like his backup, Jason Shelley, just a little bit more than I like Tyler Huntley um, as far as somebody who can play with a lead and run around with the ball. Uh, he's very, very athletic, but he's not somebody who's going to throw you back into a game. So losing Tyler Huntley meant that you were losing any chance of being able to, to sling the ball around the field. And then obviously, you know, they had a, a very talented quarterback just leave in the middle of the season, transfer out because, he, he you know, he's the highest rated recruit. I think Jack Tuttle is his name. Highest rated quarterback recruit they've ever had, and he just bounces because he's not getting any playing time. Well, this would have been a really good time to try to get him in the game in the fourth quarter of this game, and it just doesn't work out. Um, so, you know, you you uh, special teams, Arizona State, I think kind of continues to struggle. They make some more rotations on who it is that's actually returning kicks and returning punts. Um, putting a guy in motion got them into trouble last week in the punt game. Looks like it caused a couple of problems this week as well. I think that Sean Slocum just tinkers a lot, and 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 it really seems like anything that can go wrong on special teams for Arizona State often will. I mean, it often will go wrong because you know we when we we see special teams errors every single week from this team. Uh, this game was no exception, but ultimately they do enough to get the win. Um, and, I, and I know that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't think it'll be controversial. I think that, you know, I picked Utah to win the Pac-12 South. I don't think they're an overly strong team or overly balanced. I think they have a fantastic defense and a very good running game and a capable enough quarterback with super young wide receivers. But I thought that that would be enough to win the Pac-12 South. And they were really in a position to do so before coming to Sun Devil Stadium and, and, and getting beat the way that they did. I still technically think, um, you know, that if ASU and Utah play that game 10 times, that Utah maybe wins seven of them. But that's not what matters anymore because that's not what happened. And, and Arizona State's in a position where they control their destiny the rest of the way. If they beat UCLA and they beat Oregon and, and then they beat Arizona at Arizona, that's it. That's it. Arizona State is going to play for the Pac-12 championship. And, you know, that... that the way that the the Pac-12 North is cannibalizing itself um, has sort of left Washington State to stand alone. 
uh, and they're pro- they're going to be the team. I have no doubt in my mind they're going to be the team that that ultimately gets to play um, for the Pac-12 North. And so you'd have a team that um, that Arizona State hasn't run into yet. You wouldn't necessarily have to worry about a running game because they don't run the ball uh, very much. And Washington State is a team that has actually struggled against some teams that have lesser talent, like Cal last night. You know they had to score a touchdown with with uh, about a minute left to win that game, 19 to 13 at home. So, I, I mean, it is within reason, it is within reason, which is absurd to even consider, it is within reason for Arizona State to win their final four games and win the Pac-12 outright, potentially play in a Rose Bowl, uh, which I don't necessarily think is something that you should get your hopes up about. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that they even have the ability to win out in the Pac-12. Playing at Oregon is going to be really tough, even though they'll have Manny, uh, presumably have a healthy Manny Wilkins, and he's 1-0 a lifetime against a a team that has traditionally dominated Arizona State. Um, You know, so I think that that's a a really big deal um, to have uh, Manny Wilkins available for that, but I don't think you can count on that as a win, so you might have to have some other stuff happen. But imagine, two weeks ago, imagine thinking that Arizona State was even going to be in this position. It's pretty hard to imagine, right, when Arizona State was sitting at 3-4 and after back-to-back seven-point losses at Colorado and home against Stanford. Uh, in which Arizona State made some serious errors late in both of those games and didn't look like they even had the composure to pull out a win. Here they are scoring 38 points against USC, 38 points against Utah, and all of those calls for Rob Likens' job seem to be fading into the background. Haven't heard very many. Have not heard very many calls for Rob Likens' job in the last nine days. Um, and there may be some people who still feel very strongly that uh, that that Arizona State needs to make a change uh, there. But but the truth is that three of the last five weeks, you know, Arizona State scored 52 against Oregon State, 38 at USC, 38 versus Utah. Um, and then against Colorado, had a really hot start that fizzled out. And against Stanford, you know, I, I think that Stanford was just, they just had a better game plan going in. But but, you know, in, if you expect Arizona State to be perfect offensively every week, you're going to be pretty unhappy with whoever comes in as an offensive coordinator. The offense seemed to run pretty well under Mike Norvell, and, and, a, and a vast majority of the uh, of the aggressive Twitter crowd very much hated some of the decisions that he made. So, but I've noticed that it has been quieter surrounding Rob Likens. I think that uh, Arizona State is now in a position where they have eight of the nine games where they've held the opposing team under 28 points, which is something that they have not done uh, with that amount of frequency since 2009 when they went 3-9 and nine and had a very young defense full of NFL talent. That was Vontez Burfick's freshman year. Uh, they wasted that defense. They, it doesn't seem like they're wasting this defense. They're just one went away from qualifying for a bowl. Um, but Arizona State defensively seems to get it that they'd have all nine games under 28 points if Manny Wilkins had taken a knee uh, instead of running into the end zone at USC. So the defense is getting it done. They're still super young. They're starting four. They're, they're, they're playing about six freshmen. They're starting four on the defensive side of the ball. You have to imagine that that's only going to get better over time. You know, yes, people can figure out what ASU is doing schematically, but as people figure out what ASU is doing schematically, you'll also have an increase in the talent, which should really balance that out. Offensively is where there's maybe some some worries. And if you check out devilsdigest.com, I actually wrote a scouting report of who I think could ultimately be Arizona State's starting quarterback next year as I looked at Joey Yellen 
of Mission Viejo High School um, in California. So go make sure to head over to devilsdigest.com. It, it really helps us out if you subscribe. You can check out that in-person scouting report of the incoming freshman quarterback. You can also, if you're a part of the message boards and part of the Devil's Huddle and Devil's Digest community, find out that Arizona State might be in on another really talented uh, quarterback out of Southern California um, who has tons of Pac-12 suitors and has yet to make a decision. Uh, you, you might see Arizona State make some headway with that young man as well, uh, which is information that you can find out on devilsdigest.com. Again, make sure to subscribe. So I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I asked you uh, what you thought of Herm Edwards uh, when he was hired, which was 11 months ago. And I asked you to compare that with how you think of him after, you know, they get a home win over Utah and move to five and four. I just wanted you to examine your starting point and where you're at now. So when we come back after a short break, I'll read some of your responses and react to those on the Devil's Junkie podcast. Mama Mavis, oh, mama, they try my patience. It's gone. Who was left to save us? We mourn. I'm praying for my neighbors. They say the devil's at work and is calling favors. You say. I'm dangerous, I speak for the nameless I fly with the vultures, I be with them bangers If change don't come, then the change won't come If the bands make them dance, then the rain gon' come Am I passing up to the light? Look into your eyes All the world is out of your head So here's the question that I asked so I was recording a Devil's Junkie podcast, and my question for you was, how has your view of Herm Edwards evolved over the last 11 months? And then I would read your takes on the show. So uh, I think I, I said, how has your view of Herm Edwards evolved over the last 11 months? That is not a question about Herm Edwards. That's a question about you, right? That's not, I don't, how, I didn't say how has Herm Edwards changed over the last 11 months. I didn't say what is the verdict on the Herm Edwards hire? I said, how has your mindset evolved based on the initial hire of Herm Edwards 11 months ago and today when they get their fifth win of the season uh, and when it's it's looking like they're probably going to wrap up a bowl appearance and not end up last in the Pac-12 South as many had stated in a season that now includes victories over Michigan State USC and Utah, which heading into the season, I think people would have pointed out and said, these are their three hardest games. So how has your view evolved? And I got a bunch of responses that were like, it's too early to tell. Too early to tell what? How you think? What does that even mean? Too early. What do you think? If, if your view hasn't changed, if your view hasn't changed, then you just say, oh, it hasn't changed. It's not too early for you to decide what your own thoughts are. And again, I wasn't asking how Herm Edwards is doing. I didn't ask how uh, what your what your ultimate thoughts of the hire was. And I, I think somebody pointed out on Twitter all these wait and see comments that mean after he fails, I'll have a more complete opinion. And I think maybe there's some element of that to it. But but what I'm very curious about is just you. How has your thought process changed? Because this was panned nationally. I think a lot of Arizona State fans were embarrassed to even be affiliated with the program the way that 
this was initially perceived. And I think there's some optimistic people out there that just embraced it from the start, which was fantastic. Um, being optimistic is fantastic. It's a great way to go through life. You're certainly much happier. Uh, but I, I, what I want to know is for those of you that even if you were optimistic, was your optimism justified? Like where, where just where is your head at? And I'll tell you right now, he, here's what my original thinking was. And here's where I'm at now. My original thinking was that most of the heat for this hire wasn't going to fall on Herm Edwards. Everything that I knew about Herm Edwards was that, you know, if he didn't perform up to par, if Arizona State struggled, there was nobody that was going to say, this is Herm Edwards' fault. It was all going to kind of come down on Ray Anderson. Um, and, that, and I think that, you know, I think Ray Anderson understood that as well uh, with, with some of his comments. So my initial take on the Herm Edwards hire was that uh, it was very outside of the box, obviously, um, and very inside the box at the same time. You had a guy, Ray Anderson, who made a career out of breaking up the good old boys club and helping uh, very qualified minority candidates break into a business that hadn't necessarily been accessible to them based on the fact that so many of us in any industry, in any area of life, just extend opportunities to the people that are our friends, that we know and trust. And when it comes down to the fact that some of us surround ourselves with people that are like us, idealistic or like us as far as our skin pigmentation or the way that we were raised or the religion that we share, uh, we don't even realize that we're in a position that ultimately discriminates against people of other backgrounds or experiences um, just because the people that we know and the people that we keep in our circle are very much like us. So, you know, the good old boy club and football wasn't always necessarily malicious. You, you know, the, now the owner of the Washington Redskins, I think, is probably the... the um, he, you know, he is definitely the the outlier as far as that goes. You know, you can always bring that back against me to say, no, there were some people that were very much into discrimination and keeping integration out of football and, and such and such. And that really that really drove this in a very negative way. And I, and I would have to concede that because that's absolutely true. But I will say that for the most part, people just give opportunities to people that are in their immediate vicinity, the people that they're around, the people they know, the people they trust, the people that they share life experiences with and background with. And so in order to break up that club, you're going to have to make some people take some chances on some, some, some folks that wouldn't have gotten it otherwise. And when you realize they have the ability to do that job, you've expanded your circle. Uh, and you've expanded the available candidate pool, and you've ultimately made it a bit better experience for for everybody involved. And so I supported a lot of what Ray Anderson's efforts were as far as helping get minority uh, coaches um, involved at the highest level of football. Absolutely love that. I thought that when he came on at Arizona State, I thought that there was going to be some opportunity there if, if they ever did make a move with Todd Graham, who was not his hire, uh, that he was ultimately going to have a chance to bring in somebody who might not have had a chance otherwise. And I, I, I was a little bit uh, taken aback by the fact that, you know, this man who had built up this, this re reputation over time of, of really breaking up these, um, these scenarios in which, you know, uh, people weren't considering people outside their immediate circle when he had his very first opportunity to make a football hire when he had his very first opportunity to put himself in that position he went out and he hired his former client and longtime friend 
which was the exact issue that he helped ultimately, uh, you know, dedicate a large part of his career to disrupting. Uh, and so I thought that that was, um, you know, I, I ultimately thought that any of the ire for making this hire would probably fall on Ray Anderson's head because of uh, the way that it, it seemed to me at the time that he doubled back on his own legacy. Um, but at the same time, at the exact same time, I believe uh, to some extent in the world that Malcolm Gladwell uh, put forth uh, as far as personality types in The Tipping Point. You know, that you have people out there who are mavens, who make change happen through information and ideas. Uh, you have uh, people who are salespeople, who make change happen through persuasion. And then you have connectors who make change happen through people, right? And I believe that it's very possible and I think we've all been in this situation where an opportunity arises and in the back of your head you say, I know the perfect person for that. You know, now, are they the perfect person? Uh, maybe not. Maybe not perfect. But as far as your mental Rolodex, they're perfect, right? As far as, as, far as you know, what the situation needs and as far as the, the amount of people that you know and, uh, and you know according to their strengths and weaknesses and things that they've proven in situations in your own life, you can reach back and pick someone who you think would be best for that. Um, and I think that Ray Anderson in that position where obviously it's his job to ultimately go out and seek those things, that I think he was playing the role of connector. And he said, you know, who do I know who knows how to do the things that Arizona State needs or that I feel that Arizona State needs? And, you know, you're going to know your own friends' strengths and weaknesses quite well when you're when you're that close to them. And I think that in the back of his mind, I think it may have just been, this is giving Ray Anderson a huge benefit of the doubt, that it may have just worked out that Ray Anderson had a very strong belief that he saw what Arizona State needed in his own mind through his own view and said, I know the guy for this. I know the guy for this. Now, does that mean that he was the best available hire? No. But does it mean that Ray Anderson had a unique understanding of the situation's needs based on his proximity to them? And he had a unique understanding of Herm Edwards based on his proximity to Herm Edwards. And he was able to make that connection in his mind and say, you know, I, I feel like this could work. Yeah, that, that's absolutely what that means. So, I, you know, I, I don't look at it in a completely cynical fashion, just from that sort of like Malcolm Gladwell-esque worldview of like Ray Anderson was just being the connector in, in this scenario. But at the same time, it does make you sort of double back and say, all right, well, not everybody who didn't consider a minority candidate in, in the days in which none of them could even get a look for jobs were evil. They were maybe just doing something similar. You know, we're all lobbyists for our own self-interest. We're all trying to succeed through other, other people having success in the areas that pertain to our success. And in this situation, Ray Anderson's success is largely dependent on Herm Edwards' success. So it was a huge risk for him to take. You know, so was he just out there to make sure that he has the ability to hang out with his friend? I don't think so. I don't think it was that simple. But my initial thinking on this was that if this goes very poorly nothing's going to change for Herm Edwards. People are still going to believe that Herm Edwards is a good guy. The people in his life are still going to love him. His young children are still going to be fine. He, like I said, I think a couple of podcasts ago, Herm Edwards doesn't need this job. He's lived a long life in football. His legacy is cemented. 
I think one of my biggest concerns about Herm Edwards is that he wants this gig, but he doesn't necessarily need it. He's not trying to claw his way up. He's not trying to... <clears throat> he's not trying to get the next gig. He's not trying to do a good job so that ultimately that investment pays off with something else better coming his way. Uh, and that's... <laughs> I gotta admit, that's super refreshing. But at the same time, you know, I, I worry. I worry on behalf of Arizona State fans that you don't have somebody um, who's in a situation where they're desperate to win. You know, Herm Edwards is unique. He's out there trying to do the right thing for the sake of, you know, there's nothing worth doing that's not worth doing right. And that is interesting and hard to trust if you're a fan in, in, in uh, you know, in, in football in which everybody seems to be just looking out for themselves to take the best opportunity avail available to them at any given time. I was on the USC message boards after after uh, Arizona State beat them at USC, and you had people on there saying, you know, let's fire Clay and give someone like Herm Edwards a look. <laughs> the same people that were making fun of the Herm Edwards hire just a few months ago. But the way that I look at it is this. I looked at it and I said, you know what? This is ultimately going to fall on Ray Anderson, for better or worse. Uh, and so I did not take Herm Edwards very seriously in that I did not believe he was going to ultimately take ownership um, through public perception of of how Arizona State ultimately did. And I will say that 11 months later, it is fair to say that I underestimated the investment that Herm Edwards would have in the in in the program. I knew that he would invest in individuals. You know, I knew that he would be himself. I knew he'd be the guy. You know, that everybody talked about. You know, who he was. But I I didn't I did not attach him to having an investment in the success or lack of success uh, um, of of Arizona State. And I think that he um, I think some of these losses are keeping him up at night. I think that. Uh, I think he feels like Arizona State should be in a much better position than they're in right now. I think that he lacks patience um, for, in a good way, that he lacks patience um, for some of the things that, uh, as far as what Arizona State has yet to get down. Um, you know, I, I thought it was pretty interesting of him to make some of the changes that he made after San Diego State to basically say, we're never losing the line of scrimmage again. You know, we, we're not going to be a football team that ekes out a win but gets beat on the line of scrimmage because ultimately, you know, a football team that doesn't win the line of scrimmage doesn't win in the long term. So to see him make some of these adjustments on the fly, make some of these changes, um, I feel very much more 11 months later like this is Herm Edwards' program than I do feel like it's Ray Anderson's experiment. I'm very much more comfortable attaching Herm Edwards' name to Arizona State football as far as being the ultimate owner of any success or lack of success that Arizona State has, whereas before I was just ready to say, all right, if ASU wins, Ray Anderson wins. If ASU loses, Ray Anderson loses. Uh, I think, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't think that they're ultimately separated uh, in in uh, in their fate, uh, but I do believe I give more credit to, to Herm Edwards than I originally uh, thought that I would have 11 months ago. So that's where I'm at as far as how my mindset has evolved on Herm Edwards. And I want to read some of your responses on Twitter and on DevilsDigest.com. Um, we have one, Justin Prestigard, 11 months ago I was willing to wait and see. That part of my opinion hasn't changed. What has changed is my optimism for re retaining the important cogs on the staff over the next few years. I think that's important. I think you look at a team like Utah, Utah uh, 
when they made their transition from the Mountain West, where they absolutely just used to beat up on my Wyoming Cowboys, I think in their last six years in the Mountain West, they were 5-1 and one against Wyoming. Uh, before they made that transition into the Pac-12 to cr- ultimately create the Pac-12, um, they had Gary Anderson at defensive coordinator for four years. I think they had the same offensive coordinator for four years. The continuity that Utah had really set them up for this long-term success where they were able to establish a system and a culture in which they could bring in other coordinators to come in you know, over the years and, and, and be able to do things uh, according to the Utah way. Included in some of those coordinators, you had Dennis Erickson, um, was co-coordinator for for a year. You had Norm Chow. You even had Dave Christensen, who, P.S., Dave Christensen was probably the least liked coordinator in the history of University of Utah football. They went 9-4 and four that year. They didn't score a whole bunch, and they weren't really able to run the ball all that well. Utah fans did not like Dave Christensen. They were more than happy to see Dave Christensen go. And he went out to uh, to Texas A&M and struggled. And I'd see the Utah Twitter. Utah Twitter is something else. They'd make fun of Dave Christensen all the time. They made fun of Arizona State for hiring Dave Christensen. And here Arizona State is not allowing a single sack and gashing Utah in the run game. And guess who the offensive line coach for Arizona State is while they're doing it? Dave Christensen. And Dave Christensen had a really classy tweet after the game where he said that this was a you know, hot top top flight program that Arizona State had a victory over. But you had to figure, you know, based on based on the the way the fans were more than happy to see Dave Christensen go, you had to figure that that victory was was extra sweet for Dave Christensen. But yeah, to go back to Justin's point, um, yeah, it, it, to think that, yeah, some of this staff might be pretty loyal. It, you know, Likens, love him or hate him. You know, this is a guy that would have the ability to be there over time and, and develop. Uh, Danny Gonzalez is somebody, you know, who who I think is in the long-term plans of Arizona State, Antonio Pierce as well. So if you like some of these, uh, if you like some of these hires, then there's a chance you might get to keep them. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jedi ASU, still wait and see. Absolutely going to enjoy the win. And there's a lot of road to go. I think that's fair. Um, uh, Mark Ofenlock, I am happy with Herm. I love how the team improves each week. Still early, though. I'm liking what I'm seeing. And so that's another thing. Improvement week over week. Improvement week over week is something I think that's really important to Arizona State fans because there's been a couple of seasons in the Todd Graham era where the wheels fell off, right? Especially that year where they go up. They have a chance to play in the the college football playoff. They go up to Oregon State and everything just completely falls apart. And so um, I I fully, fully understand um, that that perspective of wanting to see them improve week over week. And it really feels like they've, they've done that in some areas. Uh, especially with some young players. Uh, JJ Esfera on Twitter. Herm has done a great job. He did a tremendous job bringing in good assistance, and I love how he lets them coach on the sideline. He has a quiet confidence. The defense is so much better than Todd Graham's defense. Love how he's emphasizing defense and building it at the foundation. Uh, yes, yes, the defense is definitely better than it has been in, in recent years for sure. Um uh, Ralph Ting at RT Suns fan on Twitter. It hasn't changed. I loved it when they hired him. So he he gets it. His perspective then versus now, no difference. Uh, Mike Sheehan said I liked it early, fell into the cool thing and started to go against him. Then I had my own thoughts again and thought, why couldn't he be good? The guy can coach. So there you go. It's not just progressing from point A to point B. You have point A down to point B back to point A again. 
Uh, Def Sleep 76 was unsure at first, but trusted Anderson and his vision. Wait and see mode the first few games. Herm's coaching style and overall demeanor seems to connect with the players. Gonzalez is doing work. Recruiting is trending up. We're in South contention, everything I'd hoped for. So, I mean, if you wanted to be in contention for the Pac-12 South, here we are three-fourths of the way through the season, and that's where Arizona State is. So, I mean, if that's what you wanted, that's what her, that's what Ray Anderson wanted. He wanted to compete for conference titles. And here Arizona State is trying to do that exact thing. What was it? Top 15 in the country, top three in the conference, uh, and competing for conference titles. They have a chance to do all three this year. Who would have thought that two weeks ago? Uh, Trace Travers, the publisher of the, the Cal uh, Rivals site, said, From an outsider's perspective, I thought Herm was a less than desirable hire. He's hired well. Getting guys like Antonio Pierce was a great move, and he plays to win the game, which at the end of the day is all you can ask for. Uh, yeah, and I, that, that's one thing I've learned to respect about Herm Edwards is they have four seven-point losses, right? Those seven-point losses could have been 30 points. He doesn't care. Loss is a loss. No moral victories. Uh, at Jace Jacobs on Twitter, boom, Hermie Knuckles and Fives, Team Herm from the beginning, loved the staff hires and was so excited to see the Devils play Coach G's version of Rocky Long's defense. Uh, at Jay Young the Genius on Twitter, didn't move the needle for me initially, but I was willing to give him a shot because I know he's a motivator. Fully impressed and glad to have him now. He's doing a great job recruiting too. So he brought the motivator word, right? Like the... Arizona State got made fun of saying, like, you know, ah, they hired a motivational speaker. I'm curious, and think to yourself about this. Have you really seen that side of him be as cartoonishly prevalent as some people thought? You know, I know that he said a few catchphrases here and there that it felt like ASU was more than happy to jump out and license as soon as they possibly could, um, like leave it on the grass and stuff like that. But I, I haven't seen him out there giving the Friday Night Lights Coach Taylor speech too often. I think he has his expectations for what the players should do, and he does a lot of his motivating in individual settings. It's not so much the big speaker speech giver role. And I thought that that, that was pretty uh, interesting based on my initial perspective and what the national perspective on the hire would be. Uh, at Wackus1 on Twitter, I'm optimistic with his recruiting and, and this young defense. I've had some gripes with the play calling over the last couple of games, but I can't complain. I would like to see a win over UCLA and then be prepared for the two toughest road games of the season. Interesting, right? That the two toughest road games of the season turned into playing at Autzen and playing in Tucson. You know, after going out and getting that win at, at, uh, at USC. Um, at Double Devil on Twitter, maybe warming. I'm not sure. Going into this year, I expected six to seven wins. I think ASU could have to get to eight wins before I'd say that I'm surprised by his coaching ability. With that said, I like him more as a person than I did a year ago. At the face of SJ, Levi Ashton on Twitter, I was on the train immediately. This man knows how to connect with young men. I am pleased in what he is doing for our Devils. And uh, at Nuggets Lands or at Nugget Lands, Alice on Twitter said, absolutely, I wasn't a big fan of the hire, but loved the direction this team is going. And what impressed me most today was the third quarter. They finally put it together. Uh, and at OV Devil on Twitter said, I thought you were going to podcast about the wedding. Um, I saved a little bit of that for the uh, the, the initial uh, the initial point. But my thought all along was that this was a rebuilding year scheme-wise and not by what Ray uh, Anderson said at his presser, which some people are basing theirs on, I'm happy so far. And again, what Ray Anderson said in his presser might end up happening. It might come true, right? Um, and that, that's pretty wild to to consider um, that Arizona State could be in contention 
to be a top 20 team and win the Pac-12 South outright. I mean, we'll see what happens against UCLA. I think UCLA is not bad for a 2-7 and team, but it's a team that Arizona State should probably, probably blow out, I'm guessing. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the, if Ray Anderson's expectations for this season get met in year one, then I think that that's something that everybody's going to have to come to terms with uh, as as far as, you know, what um, what our perspective is on Herm Edwards. I think it'd be a resounding success. Uh, I think it'd be pretty hard to criticize Ray Anderson. I mean, everyone's always going to be wait and see. There's going to be people who's, who, who you know, were banging the drum when Todd Graham got hired uh, five years after he started, six years after he started, saying, see, I knew it was a bad hire, especially Pitt fans, right? But the truth is that Todd Graham was pretty resounding success compared to what the expectations were uh, when he came in. So, uh, and then we got a few responses, uh, a couple of things on devilsdigest.com I wanted to check in on. Um, Santan Devils said his take on the game was that he loved uh, Nikhil getting involved as much as he was, um, and that Eno is a beast and Brandon Reese still needs work. Uh, and uh, he said he also liked the toughness. He saw Eno, Nikhil, and Tyler Johnson all get dinged up and get back out there. It was a little bit scary when Nikhil Harry went down. I think he landed on the ball, knocked the, the breath out of him, but then he went out there, scored another touchdown, and you know that he's he's all right. Even though if you follow him on Instagram, you you do see that that during the week he has ice on pretty much every single joint of his body. Um, and he did take another targeting hit to the face this week. So uh, Nikhil Harry has been banged up a lot this year, and, and you've definitely seen his toughness. Um, at Suff23 on the Devil's Digest message board says, I feel like everyone's starting to come into their own. This is a transition year, and as much as we wanted to come out the gate swinging, there was going to be some growing pains. All of the coaches are understanding the overall system. Likens has called two good games and utilized our stars. Gonzalez has gotten these freshmen to buy in and perform. They seem to be heading in the right direction at the right time, especially with a good defense and solid running game. We have a chance to have a special finish. Uh, Exorcist Devil would really like this team to finish strong. Seems like they're hitting on all cylinders at a good time. Dare I say eight and four. It's possible. Uh, <laughs> we have another question here. How many flags were thrown during the wedding? They didn't even throw the bouquet. So no, nothing was nothing was thrown. Uh, and a reminder, if you're out there listening to this, don't have fall weddings. Um, and then uh, uh, this this one at PJMCSSR86 on the Devil's Digest message board. Nikhil, Manny, and Eno, number eight on defense as well. I bashed Herm's hiring, but I have to admit I've been very impressed with the game plans, preparation, and team effort these past two weeks. Recruiting is also trending well. I think the South may be out of reach, but it's a successful season thus far. Well, here we are, uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks out, and Arizona State has the Pac-12 South title within reach. Who'd have thought? This has been another post-game reaction episode of the Devil's Junkie podcast. Keep it tuned to devilsdigest.com. Leave a review on iTunes if you can. I don't care if it's one star or five star. I just think that they're funny to read. Somebody uh, left a review a couple of weeks ago that said, if I can't get my kids registered for school on time, then how do I have time to do podcasts? That one made me laugh. So if you feel like giving me some entertainment, go ahead and throw a review on iTunes again. I don't care if it's one or five stars. I just want something interesting to talk about on the show. Appreciate your time. This has been the Devil's Junkie Podcast with Ralph Amston. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town.
All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself in Devil Town Devil Town